Well, you know, before, uh, before I became a pastor, I did a number of different things. Uh, one of them was that I was a teacher. I taught high school. And uh, next to the Bible, I had the privilege to teach the most fascinating, beautiful, amazing topic that you could possibly teach. And we all know that that is... No, not math. <laughs> Definitely not. That is social studies, right? I mean, social studies by far the most interesting class you could possibly take in high school. And I had a good class. They were good students. They, they listened. And even if they didn't always believe me that this was the best subject to study, they were pretty generous with me. I gave them assignments. I gave them reading to do. I gave them projects and exams. And for the most part, they were pretty good. But there was one thing that they just always protested when I did in our class. And that was every once in a while when they would come into the class, just before they would open their, their books, I'd say, well, today, before you open your books, I just want you to take out a blank piece of paper and a pen, and we're going to have a pop quiz. And you know, the whole class would kind of groan. They'd be like, really? And then one, always some charming student would put up their hand and say, Mr. Newfeld, Mr. Newfeld, look, it's so early in the morning. And we're good students, and we don't cause you any trouble. Do we really need to have a pop quiz? And I would always say, yes, we really need to have a pop quiz. Because you see, what I'm going to teach you today actually builds on the things that we learned last week. And if you didn't get what we were talking about last week, or by some rare chance you just weren't listening to me, uh, you need to know what we talked about last week in order to learn what we're doing this week. And so then I'd start, question number one, and then question number two, and I'd walk up and down the aisles while I asked those questions, and, and even before we marked the papers, I knew just by the expression on each kid's face who had been listening and who needed to go back and, and learn it again. And you know, for me, it was kind of fun, actually. It was a good experience. You know, the passage that we're going to look at in Ephesians today, the Apostle Paul isn't going to give us a pop quiz. Uh, but he is very keen that, that we grasp some of very key and foundational ideas and concepts about what it means to follow Jesus. Because if we don't get what he talks about today, we're going to struggle with what comes next in the book of Ephesians. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. You know, if you were here the last, uh, last spring, you know that we studied through the first three chapters of Ephesians. And in the opening chapters of this beautiful letter to the church in Ephesus, the Apostle Paul lays out the theological foundation for what it means to be the church. And you remember, it's beautiful, it's powerful, and he explains what it is that, to be the church and why God has put us in this world. But now when you come to chapter 4, when we come here, it's like as if he pivots. Instead of talking about the, the what and the how, now he's going to, sorry, the what and the why, now he's going to talk about the how. How is it that we're supposed to live out this beautiful life that God has called us to? And so he begins in chapter 4, verse 1, this way. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So Paul says, now I'm going to teach you, I'm going to talk to you about how to walk, how to live in a manner worthy of this incredibly beautiful calling that Christ has for you as the church. And so as we've seen over the last two weeks, he begins by calling us to walk together in unity. And, and he calls us to build one another up in this beautiful faith that we have. And now, now he's going to teach us how to do that in our everyday life. And his teaching is going to become very, very practical. 
He's going to instruct us how to live in harmony with one another by speaking the truth and love to one another and by dealing with our anger. He's going to teach us how to walk in the spirit and how to love our wives and how to respect our husbands and obey our parents and honor the people in our workplace. It's going to get really, really practical. But before he gets to this how-to business that's coming up next, he wants to make sure that we understand one or two incredibly important foundational concepts that come with following Jesus. And they're about how we're going to find the strength and the ability in our lives to actually do this very practical stuff that he calls us to do. So that we might live in a manner worthy of this calling that Christ has on our lives. So let's look at the passage. It's just on the second part of chapter 4. It's in verses 17 to 24. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for us today. Apostle Paul writes, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So, here the Apostle Paul lays out for us some key foundations that are necessary for us to know so that we might live according to the calling that is on our lives. And he does that by contrasting our former way of life, the way we used to live before we came to Christ, with our new life that we have in Christ. And he says that there, he reminds us that there were some things that we should have learned when we first came to Christ. And that we must fully understand and truly grasp what these are if we're going to live the way he is called, God has called us to. So let's go back and look at more carefully what he says. And we're actually going to begin in the, in the middle of this passage, in verse 20 and 21, and then we'll cycle back to the earlier verses. And when I read these verses 20 and 21, listen for the language that he uses. It's a language of education, of teaching. Look at what he says, verse 20. But that's not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. You hear the words he used, right? He uses these words, learned and heard and taught. And in essence, he is saying to us, when you came to Christ, it's as if you entered into school, the school of Christ. And there you learn these foundational concepts that he's going to review for us. But he wants to remind us, first of all, these concepts, they're not not man-made concepts. This isn't something that someone made up. These came from Jesus himself. And so that's why he begins by saying, that's not how you learned Christ. You see, in the school of Christ, the the central focus, the topic, the thing that you should learn above all is Jesus Christ. That should be the, the focus and the central thing that we learn when we come to Christ. But then Paul adds this very interesting statement. He says, assuming that you have heard about him. Now that's kind of an interesting statement considering he's writing to a church of people who are following Jesus. The fact of the matter is, uh, it, when, uh, when this is translated in English, because Paul wrote it in kind of a difficult way, uh, some of our English translations have added the word about. But in fact, in the original language, when Apostle Paul wrote it, he didn't add the word about. So really, it, 
in, in, in Greek it reads this, and the New International, rather, the New American Standard Version puts it this way, if indeed you have heard him and been taught in him. In other words, it says not only did you learn Christ this way, but the person who taught you was Jesus. When the Bible is clearly and carefully and correctly taught, it's like as if you are learning, as if we are learning from Jesus himself. And so the question that Paul asks here is, did you hear what he taught you? Did you get it? If you were given a pop quiz on this important foundational stuff, would you know it? Because, as he goes on to point out at the end of the verse, the truth is in Jesus. The truth about life and about God, about what this is all about, is found in him. So you need to make sure that you're learning in the school of Christ. Now, Paul isn't going to give us a pop quiz. That's good news. But he is going to review with us what it is that we should definitely have learned when we came to Christ. So look at verse 22. This is the first thing. We learn to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Paul begins by by reminding us that we learn to put off the old self. And he adds that 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 part of ourself, that, that belongs to our former life and is corrupted by our deceitful desires. Now what's Paul talking about here? What are these deceitful desires that he's talking about? Well, to understand that, we need to go back to verse 17, where he begins this section and describes what our former life used to be like. Look at verse 17. He says, Now, this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Paul says, you know, you know that former life? The, the one that you lived before you came to Christ? The fact of the matter is it was corrupted, first of all, by your futile thinking. You know, before you came to faith in Christ, you weren't thinking clearly. Now, that doesn't mean that you weren't smart. That doesn't mean that you weren't able to think incredibly carefully about very complex ideas. That's not what Paul is saying here. Instead, what Paul is saying is that before we came to Christ, we had certain presuppositions that limited how far our thinking could take us when it came to questions about what this life was about and about who God was. So, for instance... Before we came to Christ, many of us believed that, the, that all that there was to this life was whatever we could taste and touch and see and feel and explain. We wouldn't even consider that there might be another dimension, a, a spiritual dimension to life that goes beyond what we can perceive with our senses. And so, of course, our thinking always ran into a wall when we came to ideas that God wanted us to know. It was severely limited. And still others of us have certain presuppositions about who we think God ought to be. Even though none of us have been a God ourselves, So we really have no frame of reference to decide who God should be. But again, because we had these wrong presuppositions, we were futile in our thinking. We were severely limited in the way we could understand. And so we simply couldn't understand that there was more to this life. That there is a good God who loved us deeply, So much so that he came to reveal himself to us so that we could know who he was. Paul says, before we came to Christ, our thinking about what this life was, it was futile. But then look at at what happened then in verse 18. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. You see, Paul goes on to explain that because of the futility of our thinking, Our understanding of God and of this life didn't become more enlightened. It actually became 
more dim. In fact, as our understanding became less open-minded, as we were less willing to consider the, op- uh, the possibilities that there was a God out there who loved us and cared for us, our hearts actually became hard. We said, clearly it can't be a God. There is no way. And our hearts hardened. And we turned away from him. And then look at what he says in verse 19. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. You know, when our hearts become hard towards God, the Apostle Paul says, then they become calloused. Now, you know what a callous is, right? Callous is a place where the skin gets very thick. Maybe because a tool, you've been using a tool or, or your skin has been rubbing against something. But here's the thing about a callus. You could still feel through a callus, just not very well. And that's what Paul says happens in the lives of those who are far from God. There is within them, within all of us, a desire to, 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 to feel fully alive in our hearts. But because their hearts are calloused and hard, nothing feels the way that it should. Nothing ever fully fulfills that desire we have to feel fully alive. And so they're always searching for the next high, for the next something that will break through their calloused heart and give them that feeling of being fully alive. And here the Apostle Paul points to an ever-increasing need for sexual fulfillment that ultimately never truly fulfills, no matter what they try. But it could be all kinds of other things. You know, when we're far from God, we're always craving whatever we think will somehow make us feel alive. And yet in the end, it's always futile. Because we will never find that true, deep contentment that we're seeking. We'll never experience that feeling of being fully alive until we find it in the one for whom we were created. Until we find it in God himself. Paul says to us, that's what your former life was like before you came to Christ. But when you gave your life to him, then everything changed. You thought differently because she opened your eyes to see that there's a lot more to this life than simply what you can see and taste and touch and feel and explain. And when he did that for you, that's when you put off the old self. It no longer controlled how you thought and therefore it no longer controlled how you acted. And this is the first thing that we should have learned when we entered in the school of Christ. And that's this. We are no longer under the control of our old way of thinking. Christ taught you to put that off on the day that you came to faith in him. And so now Paul warns us, don't don't go back there. Don't, Don't go back to that old way of thinking. You see, before Christ saved us, we couldn't help but think that way. And therefore, we couldn't help but act that way. It was the only way that made sense to us. So, when sin came knocking on our door, we were powerless to resist it. We always gave in because it seemed like the natural way to get to the place where we would finally fully feel alive. But once Christ came into our hearts, then we put off the old self. And that means that that old way of thinking, the sin no longer has power over us. Now, That doesn't mean that we don't sin. But it does mean that we are now able to resist the power of sin in our lives. Christ has broken the power of sin. Before Christ came into our lives, we were in bondage to sin. We had to do what sin called us to do. But now we've been set free. And by the way, that's the image that we see at baptism, isn't it? When a person goes down under the water, it is as if they're dying to their old self. They're putting off that old self. They're putting away that old way of thinking. 
And this is a very central teaching that we must understand when we come to faith in Christ. Unfortunately, there are some who misunderstand it in the church. There are some who, who take it to one extreme. They say, well, look, if I'm no longer under the power of sin, that means I don't sin anymore. I am sinless. <laughs> now, there's a problem with that. Uh, because, of course, uh, the people who know them well, the people around them, they know full well that they still sin. And their problem, the people who hold this, is that they just haven't looked in the mirror carefully enough to see that, in fact, like the rest of us, they still need to wrestle with and, and, and stand opposed to the sin in their lives. There are some who, who take it to misunderstand, to take it to this extreme. But there are others who go to the opposite extreme too much. And they say this. They say, well, the power of sin is broken in my life, but we're still tempted, but we're covered by grace. So... You know, I sin, but I'm covered by grace. I sin some more, I'm covered by grace. And the fact of the matter is, they end up sinning all the time. They go back to their former way of life. They just cover it with a religious gloss. They look religious on the outside, but really they're living like they used to live. The Apostle Paul says, don't, don't go here. Don't, don't go back to that life of sin. Because the power of sin has been broken in our lives. But we still must fight the temptation that comes our way. Because there is a lot of sin that still makes us or promises or tries to make us think that we will be fully alive if we, if we give in to it. Gambling, internet porn, gossip, lust and envy for all kinds of things that others have. And all kinds of other things. There are all kinds of things out there, sin, that would promise us. If you just had this, then you'd feel fully alive. And, and, and it's easy for us, if we're not careful, to slip back into that way of thinking. And when we do, our thinking begins to get muddied again. We begin to think, well, well no, no one even needs to know that I'm doing this. And this is really between me and no one else, so no one will get hurt. And I could stop anytime I want, even though we don't. And we get drawn into sin. And slowly our hearts can begun, begin to become hardened again. And we can begin to convince ourselves that the temptations that we're facing are a sign that we never actually did break free from sin. That, that, that sin still controls us and therefore there's not much we can do about it so we might as well just give in and, and go on sinning knowing that in the end we'll be saved. And that kind of thinking, that kind of futile thinking, if left unchecked, will lead us back to a place where we try to find fullness of life in things that will never truly satisfy us. So, we need to battle against the sin in our life. And we can succeed because Jesus has broken the power of sin on the cross. But sometimes that sin can be, seem so enticing. And that's why it's helpful for us to, to walk with other brothers and sisters in our battle against sin. In, uh, in uh, July of 1945, near the very end of World War II, uh, the U.S. warship Indianapolis had uh, just completed a mission uh, near Japan, and, and had turned and was steaming back towards the United States. But because the war was still going on, as they were midway through the ocean, a Japanese uh, submarine rose out of the water and fired a torpedo into the side of that ship. And within the first 12 minutes, 300 men had died. And when that ship sank under the water, 900 other men found themselves floating in the open ocean with no food, no fresh water to drink, no shelter from the blazing sun. And for, 
for five days and for four nights, they floated out there in the, in the, in the water. And by the time the rescue ship came, of the 900 men who had entered the water, only 316 had survived. And one of the survivors was the chief medical officer. His name was Captain Lewis Haynes. And he explained what killed most of the men that were out there. He said what killed most of them was that they couldn't resist drinking the salt water. They were so thirsty and so dehydrated. And the water that they were floating in was so clear and so blue. That it was hard for him to convince the men that they shouldn't drink it. And he said those who didn't listen, once they drank the water, they died fairly quickly. He said it was the men who warned one another and who encouraged one another and strengthened one another and sometimes physically struck one another to keep them from drinking the water. He said those were the men who survived that ordeal. You know, there are times when sin looks so enticing in our lives, when it looks like just a drink of that clear blue water and everything in our world will get better. It's in those times that we need others to warn us and to encourage us and to challenge us not to go there. Not to return to our old way of life. And that's why it's so important that we have somebody in our life. Just a couple of guys or or just a few other ladies. That you've developed a real significant relationship with based on following Jesus together. And you can go to them and you can say to them, you know, I'm struggling with this thing. I'm so tempted by that sin. The internet calls my name all the time. And you can tell them what's really going on in your heart and they won't judge you. They'll just listen. And then they'll strengthen you and encourage you and challenge you to walk in a manner worthy of that calling to which you have been called. Do you have someone like that in your life? Someone who who you can confess your sins and your struggles to and will help you think clearly? Someone who will challenge you if you're going to do something dumb that will cause disaster in your life. Who is that? Who who have you given that kind of permission to speak into your world? And do you care for them enough that you would do the same for them? You know, the first lesson we learn in the school of Christ is this. We are no longer under the power of sin because we have put off our old self. So when sin comes knocking on our door, even though we must battle against it, we can know that we will be victorious over it. But then Paul reminds us that there's a second thing that we should have learned when we came to Christ. And it's the counterpoint to the first thing. Look in verse 24. We also learn this, verse 24. To put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. See, not only are we to put off the old self, the old way of thinking, but we're to put on the new self. Now, what is this new self that the apostle speaks of? Well, that's what Paul's been outlining in the opening three chapters of the book of Ephesians. So let me, let me remind you of what he's already told us. In chapter 2, verse 13, Paul reminds us or teaches us that we are now one in Christ, that our identity is found in him. In verse 8 and 9 of that same chapter, he tells us that we are those who have been saved by grace through faith. In verse 6, he tells us that we're already seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And in chapter 1, verse 7, he tells us that we're right with God because of Jesus' blood that was shed on the cross for us. In verses 19 and 20, he tells us that we have the resurrection power of Christ himself living and working in us. And in chapters 3, verse 18 and 19, he tells us how very, very deeply we are loved by Christ and that we can be filled with all the fullness of God. That's who you are in Christ. 
That's who this new self is that Paul calls for us to put on. That's, that's what's represented in baptism when the person comes back out of the water. They're a new creation because of what Jesus has done in their life. And notice something very important about this new self that we're to put on. It's all by God's doing. It's all because of his grace. It's all because of his kindness. It's all by his love. It's all through, his, uh, it's all through what Jesus has done on behalf. You see, the message of the Christian faith is not try harder to be better. It's not try harder to earn God's favor. It's not try hard to leave behind your old way of life, your old habits, your old thinking. That's not the message of the Christian faith. Look again at verse 24. Paul says, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, this isn't something we do in our own strength. This is who we were created to be in Christ Jesus. It's God who creates in us the new attitudes and the new actions that cause us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that he has on our lives. And this is the second foundational idea that we should have learned when we entered the school of Christ, when we first came to faith, and that's this. We become or we are becoming who we already are in Christ. We are becoming who we already are in Christ. Now, that's an interesting statement or phrase, isn't it? The question is how? I mean, how does that happen? How, how are we becoming who we already are in Christ? How, how do we change our way of thinking? How do we change our attitude about others? How do we change the way we respond when someone makes us angry or upset? How, how do we put on this new self? Well, the answer I believe that Paul gives us is found in verse 23. Right between verse 22 where he says to put off the old self and verse 24 where he says put on the new self, he puts these simple words. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds. We are to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Now, it's interesting in, in, in the Greek language where Paul writes this, where he speaks of putting off the old self and putting on the new self, the, he uses past tense verbs. These are things that happened to you when you first came to Christ. It's done in your life. But here, where he talks about being renewed in the spirit of our minds, he uses the present ongoing tense. This is something that needs to happen continually. It needs to be ongoing in our lives. If we're going to become the person that we already are in Christ Jesus, we must continually be renewed in the spirit of our minds. And so, your outline puts it this way. We must fill our minds with the things from above. We must fill our minds continually with the truth about spiritual, about eternal and heavenly realities. So for instance, in Colossians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, the Apostle Paul puts it this way. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, he says this. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Now, how is that happening? He goes on to explain. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And in Romans 12, 2, he writes this again. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
We put on this new self. We become who we already are in Christ Jesus by continually renewing our minds to think biblically, to think like Jesus thinks. And of course, this is a process. This takes some time. You know, I grew up in a little church in Calgary in the 1980s, and our pastor was a man from East Germany. He'd grown up under communism in East Germany, and in in 1961, when the East Germans began to build the Berlin Wall, literally as they were building the wall, he joined a group of people who climbed over the wall and into West Germany. And you know, on that day that he climbed over that wall, on that day, his whole life changed. It's as if he put away his old life and had a brand new life. In the old life, he was under the control of a totalitarian regime. And in his new life, he had all the freedom and all the, all the rights and privileges that we experience in Western society. But even though he was instantly free on that day, he still had to learn how to think and how to act as a free person. And that was a process. In fact, years later, in the 1980s, he was living in Calgary. He was serving as a pastor in our church. And one day he, he spoke to my father. He said, you know, this week I got in trouble by the police. And my dad said, what? What happened? And he said, well, I was driving down the street, doing the speed limit, minding my own business, and a police car pulled in behind me. Also, just driving down the street, no sirens, no lights, nothing like that. And as I was driving, I looked in my rearview mirror. And when I saw a police car there, I swerved violently out of the way. And in so doing, I cut off the car beside me. And then the police car put on his lights and pulled me over. And for 30 minutes, he asked me, who are you and what are you doing? Why did you act this way? And the reason he acted this way is because he grew up in his former life fearful of the police, knowing that you always wanted to get away from them because they would do you no good. And 20 years later, he was still renewing his mind to to understand that in this country, you didn't have to fear the police. You know, we're the same when it comes to following Christ. We need to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. And it's a process. It takes time. So we need to regularly think about those things which are noble and right and pure and lovely, admirable, excellent and praiseworthy. We need to keep focusing on Christ so that we hear his voice, so we get what it is that he's teaching us. We need to remember, we are no longer under the power of sin. That We're no longer under our, uh, control of our old way of thinking. And we need to remember that we have put on the new self, that we are becoming the person that God has already created us to be. And listen, folks, it is so important that you get this stuff. Because what we're going to talk about next week and the week after and the week after is about how to speak the truth in love about how to deal with our anger, about how to, to, to love our wives and respect our husbands and obey our parents and honor our employers. And you know as well as I do that, that that's not always so easy to do. And when it comes to that, we might be tempted to say, you know, I know that I shouldn't treat that other person that way. I know it's wrong and it's sinful, but I just can't stop. But the fact of the matter is that's simply not true. You might struggle with sin, but sin does not control you anymore. You were set free from that kind of futile thinking when you gave your life to Christ and put off your old self. You don't have to sin. You don't have to treat that person that way anymore. Or you might be tempted to say, well, well, I can't change how I think about that person. It's just who I am. No, no, it's not just who you are. You've put on a new self. 
You were created by God to be holy and righteous. That's just who you are in Christ. So that means you can think differently about those who are around you. Even those who drive you crazy. Now it might take time. It might be a process involved. But if you submit yourself to it. If you continually renew your mind by focusing on Christ, by thinking about those things that are above, he will change you and he will transform you to be the person you already are in Christ. And see, you have to get this if you want to get what happens next, what comes next in Ephesians. Otherwise, everything that comes after this in Ephesians sounds like you've got to do this out of your own strength. You just got to get up the willpower to be nice to that person, to do it right, to love your, your wife or respect your husband. But the fact of the matter is, God's already making you into the person he wants you to be. You no longer have to give in to that sin. He's going to do the work in you as you allow him to renew your mind. And you know when you do that, then you can and you will be able to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which he has called you. Would you stand with me for closing prayer? Now let's pray. God, we thank you. You are such a good God. You don't just come and say, make it happen in your own strength. You don't say, come on, pull up your bootstraps. You can do it. God, you're a God who says, I- I've done it already on the cross. I've broken the power of sin. I- I've called you to be new creations through Christ. And I'll give you the strength when you, when you renew your minds on me. God, thank you for that. We pray that indeed you do that, that you give us that, uh, you, you help us to renew our minds. Father, grant us the strength to walk in a way that honors you, to leave behind the sin in our lives, and Father, to so fulfill your calling in our lives. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a good day.